Welcome to the Interviews Podcast. Welcome, Interisti, to episode 29 of the Interviews Podcast. This is the post-game recap for the UEFA Champions League final, which took place yesterday between Manchester City and Inter, uh, finishing one nothing to Man City, courtesy of a Rodri goal in, I believe, like the 64th minute, uh, 64, 66, something 60, around there. 67th minute. 67th minute. Um, so Man City completes their their treble. Uh, there's a lot to get into from this game. I think you'll notice that you know we're recording and putting this out the day after, two days after the game. And the reason for that is obviously this isn't you know typically we would do after the Serie A record immediately, but this isn't uh, your typical game. Um, losing a final is is tough. Um, so it's hard to jump on immediately after and, and really give your thoughts. We needed to um, take a little bit of a breather and, and really assess the game properly, which I think we're we're ready to do now. Um, so as always, I am one half of your co-hosting duo, Alessandro Rafa. I'm joined here by Johnny Paterno. And Johnny, um, you've brought us a, uh, a friend to commiserate with. Who's joining us today? Yeah. So I've been trying to get this person on here for quite some time. Um, you know, I've been following his channel, been on with uh, Mo on Interworldwide, but we finally got Anthony Privatera here to join us. Anthony, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really happy to be here. Looking forward to it. Um, time to vent. I still need to vent. I'm not completely over it. So it's just good to be in good company. Misery loves company, right? But we will persevere. We will get over this because I know that we have been through worse than this before. But of course, this is like a slow release poison, this one. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. It definitely feels like a, I think it's a perfect way to put it, a slow release poison. Um, yeah, I mean, I came on uh, when you were having people on yesterday when you were doing your, your live reaction got to talk for a little bit and I don't think it actually hit me um just how disappointed I was till till today really um it was definitely not uh not, not the result any of us wanted not the result I expected for sure but um I mean it, I, I'm not disappointed with the way they played and the performance I'm just obviously just disappointed with the result yeah so yeah. Let's let's tackle this, I guess, the first thing on, um, you know, an emotional level from this game. There's there's really two things that um, are are top of mind for me. And then we can get into what actually took place. The first thing that keeps coming up for me is is pride in every sense of the word. Yesterday was it was billed as David versus Goliath. On one hand, you have a team that's going for a treble, has spent two billion dollars to to get where they've gotten, has you know they have to deal with some financial irregularities, which I don't think they'll they'll ever suffer the consequences of. But the reality is, on one hand, there's a reason why Man City was I think closed at at a minus four fifty favorite, and for the the people out there that, that don't really bet, it means that they're a four to one favorite. It means that they're an immense, immense favorite. Um, what took place yesterday was we didn't watch a game that looked like it was a four to one favorite, you know, playing that, playing a David, playing a small club. That's not how the game played out for me in my eyes. I know I'm a fan, um, but I think anyone objectively watching that game did not see what what was what we were told we were supposed to see, which was Man City putting a beating on Inter for large stretches of that game and maybe the entirety of that 90 minutes when you look at it, I believe Inter were were the better side. The second thing that comes to mind is heartbreak because we had the opportunities to get that fourth Champions League final. There is no doubt about it. We can talk about 
you know, some, some refereeing decisions that I didn't agree with. We can talk about like, you know, you get unlucky, but at the end of the day, when you look at that game objectively, Inter had the opportunities to at the very least tie the game late, late stages and even go on to win it. And we didn't do so. And that's why I talk about heartbreak because, you know, on a personal level, and I'll just share an anecdote. I spent the the day with my, my dad and my grandmother. My grandmother is, you know, very sick. And the whole time leading up to the game, I was thinking like, this would be wonderful to watch this moment with her. And it didn't, it didn't play out that way. So we are recording this, you know, a day, a day later, but that heartbreak is still, still lingers. Um, do you guys feel feel the same way? Do you feel that sense of both pride and heartbreak, or or how have you sort of processed that? I'll kick it over to Anthony to uh, to start. Of course, we didn't expect to be here, especially when the groups were drawn out, and anybody that says that we had an easy run to the final is deluded and doesn't know what football is. It's there's no such thing as an easy run to the final. Um, it, it did seek in more for me this morning when I woke up in Sydney, Australia. It's 10 a.m. here the day after. So, you know, we're going on about 28 hours, obviously, afterwards for me here. But it's an opportunity missed. It really is an opportunity missed. But also part of me wants to try and think that this team will take the opportunity within the challenge and use it as a positive platform for next season. I don't think there are that many pieces in this side that need to be moved on. And once the initial pain subsides from losing a European final to a team that is, I don't care what anybody says, I'm really happy for the traditional fans, but, you know, they are playing the game on amateur mode, right? That, that's the way I see it. They're playing the game on amateur mode and they're killing it. If next season we can keep the core together, only need to cash in on one player, and I'm hoping that it is going to be Denzel Dumfries. If everybody else that matters can stay and you add a couple of pieces here and there, I think that this team is built to push on and challenge and get the second start, which is what I want more than anything. The Champions League final would have been amazing to win, and I'm still going to be gutted for a long, long time. But we just need to accept the fact that we were beaten in a moment of quality, and I can live with that eventually. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but I'll live with it. <sighs> yeah. Um I went to a bar to watch it with a couple of Serie A fans here in, in Charlotte. <clears throat> One was a Milanista, another was a Lazio fan, and we were literally surrounded by, by City fans. And As I'm watching the game, the first maybe 15, 20 minutes, I'm, I'm really nervous. I'm... I'm I'm getting anxious every time Bernardo Silva came up the wing and, and was was really attacking Federico Di Marco. I was I was feeling myself like I just had like a lump in my throat, afraid that he was gonna either make a mistake or or do something that led to a goal, or Bernardo would just do something brilliant from from the edge of the box and maybe curl it far post. I mean, we we saw he almost did in like the fifth minute. Um, and as the game grew, though, I, I my confidence grew and I saw the team growing in confidence and. You know, at halftime, it, it was kind of what I wanted. I wanted a nil-nil. I mean, okay, I, ideally we would have been up five nothing going into halftime. But go, I, I was like, if we can keep it nil-nil at half, that's huge for us, and I think that would we could go on and win it. We came out. I mean, I, I feel like the team was doing everything that Simone asked, everything that we as fans would want them to do. I mean, they played with heart. They left everything out there on the pitch, and. Then that goal comes in from Rodri, and you just feel the wind get like come out of the sails. Fortunately, you know the boys that it, it it probably went like that for fans. For the boys, I mean, they came out and they just continued to to push forward. I mean, around like the I think that goal was scored in the sixty seventh, and then the seventieth minute, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, and then in like the seventieth minute, like um, Di Marco hits the, the the crossbar, and then he hits Lukaku. Unfortunately, so. They did try to equalize. I mean, they they went at it full force. You know, a lot of people want to put the blame on Lukaku. That upsets me because that could have been anybody there. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's it really is. You know, I mean, 
in my opinion, if DiMarco gives a better header in the first place and picks a corner instead of trying to like leap up and put it over Ederson, I mean, who knows what what could have happened? So, I mean, it, you could play ifs and, and maybes and, and whatever, but it was just heartbreaking um, to not equalize. But I, I was like you said. I mean, I was proud of the boys. I was I was happy with the fight. I was happy with the effort. I think that we showed the world that Inter isn't just a joke of a team. That's was what the media was making it look like, what English media specifically was trying to make it look like. And I mean, disappointed with the result, of course, you know, I I wanted that, that Champions League trophy. I wanted that just being able to stop them from getting the treble and, and, and being the small team against the, you know, the big fish that that's able to spend freely on anything and everyone they want. But at the end of the day, it didn't happen, but, Although yes, heartbreak for real. Um, I'm still very proud of of the efforts from everybody. So, yeah, and I don't. I think you can be a fan who has high expectations, and you know we we should have won that game. We should have at the very least sent it to extra time. I think it's okay to say that and to be really disappointed with the result, like you said, Johnny. But as as realists and as you know, somebody watching that that game play out on the pitch. I today, as you know, coming off of a, a, a loss in a final, I today don't feel like there's any sides in Europe that are superior to us on our day. In a head-to-head one-on-one game, I am still, you know, confident that next week we can play a game against Manchester City, we can play a game against Real, we can play a game against Bayern, and we'll have a chance to win, which is almost an insane thing to say when you look at the circumstances that have surrounded this club and you have to contextualize it like that, right? Like, you know, we, we, as big clubs go, I don't think any club was hit harder by the pandemic in terms of our finances than this club. And you have to give credit where credit is due. And I think that's the first thing that let's get into regarding this game. Okay. Giving credit where credit is due. And I'll start with you, Johnny. What, obviously, I'm sure you had belief in Inter going into the game. What surprised you the most about what you saw on the pitch on Saturday? It's got to be the preparation that Inzaghi had with the team for me. You know, I mean, you know how I felt about Inzaghi early in the seasons, the disappointment, obviously, with the, the performance in the league. I was calling for his firing probably six or seven games into the season and, and you know, wanted to, to bring someone new and... You know, we were hearing names like Stankovic and Thiago Mota and all these things, and I was like, "Bring any of the the legends from the treble winning side; they'll they'll do a job." But when it comes to cup competitions, Simona typically has the perfect game plan for it. Doesn't matter who the opponent is. I mean, look at what he did even with Liverpool last year in the round of sixteen. We took it to them. We, if it wasn't for unfortunate bounces in the in the first half and Hakan hitting the crossbar, then. Who knows what would have happened? We lost that first leg two 0 but then we went to Anfield, and I think they said we were the first team in like over thirteen months or something like that to get a win at Anfield against Liverpool. I mean, he 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 knows what he's doing. He knows how to prepare. You know, this everybody talked about this Manchester City team as like the greatest team ever assembled. So I got to give credit to to Simone for for having the better game plan. I mean, we saw. Pep was on his knees, freaking out. He was literally like shit in his pants, like afraid of, of what we could do. And Simona just just had it all really well thought out. Unfortunately, the, the finishing is what led his team. And that's that's not something you can coach. You can't fix that yourself. You, I mean, you can't go out in the field and, and do it yourself. But he had everything clicking. And I, I have to tip my hat to him and, and give him credit where, like you said, where credit's due. What about you, Anthony? What was uh, surprising from our performance or, you know, was it completely and totally expected on your end? Uh, I don't agree with what Johnny said, but for me, it was just the discipline from every individual up, up until that given point in time. And even then, it's it's fine millimeters and margins we're working with, even with that moment of brilliance from the Spaniard, Rodrigo or Roger, whatever you want to call him. Um we nullified players in that team that have cost them 100 million euros in Jack Grealish, 120 million euros in Erling Haaland, or however much it's cost them altogether as a package. 
on an individual level that were players in that team that had to get a job done and they got it done right down to the final T and instruction from Simone Inzaghi. And I said this as well to Mo and to many friends over the phone, just like Johnny said, and just like you were saying, I think that we could have beaten anybody else in the world on our day. And if you were to put us on a pitch again against any other team, we're ready to go once again because we've got that continuity. And I really want us to use that, that continuity going into next season. And I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but this team needs to realize that it's no time to rest because you've got some momentum. Yeah, you might not have put the cherry on top of the cake by winning the Champions League final, but you just went through six to seven months of the season without shirts sponsor, for God's sake. You've got people lining up, people lining up to make this club part of them. We need to utilize this properly because we're still not in a great place at all financially, and that can still get worse before it gets better. That's not completely over just yet, but we've proven that with the staff that we have working that damage control can still result in success for us on the pitch, which is more than I can say for many other clubs in this country as well. Napoli won the Scudetto and one other club has collected the four other um, achievable trophies that you can collect. And by winning two Supercoppers and two Coppers back-to-back, I have a feeling that this team wants to go again next season. And as long as we can replace that one or two pieces of the puzzle that might be moving out properly and efficiently, and add a little bit of depth, boys, because we just played a Champions League final and we bought Danilo D'Ambrosio off the bench. And that's just a fact <laughs> that's going to have to go down on paper for the, for the rest of eternity, unfortunately, as much as I still respect D'Ambrosio. So I guess the biggest surprise, to make a long story short, Alessandro, was just the tactical discipline on an individual level. And you know what else, brother? The response after going 1-0 down, the response after going 1-0 down from Inter was just awesome to see it was awesome to see and that's another inzaghi thing right there so well done to the boys and well done to inzaghi we'll start feeling better soon boys i'm confident yeah and you said a lot there also about looking forward to next season and that's definitely something that i i want to get into before we do so you know on the topic of what what was surprising and we're giving credit where credit is due i think nothing tells that story more than seeing just how uncomfortable Man City was and just how like out of their element in terms of their typical patterns of play, in terms of their confidence moving forward. Like you can tell Bernardo's, um, his game, you know, after taking on Di Marco in the first half and really putting some pressure there, it ended up becoming, you know, dribble in circles until you get fouled. Holland had, Holland, I mean, this is a prime example of, of what was most surprising. Holland, had, aside from one chance in the first half, was shut down for this game, completely taken out of it by a player who, in Nachedvi, who, you know, I think everyone was very nervous about that matchup. You look at Grealish, Grealish couldn't do anything. Gunduan did not typically have the space that he usually does during the lines. So I think the most telling thing in terms of, you know, where do we give credit just look at how unlike Man City they looked, right? This was not, a, they did not look like this against any other side that they played against in the Champions League this year. A massive credit has to go to Simone for setting up the team the way that that um, they did. Let's also quickly touch on, um, you know, where things went wrong for us as well, right? So I think it's it's pretty obvious to to say off the bat, are finishing in terms of those crucial moments where you have to put away your chances. This is something that has plagued us all throughout the season. Um, we saw it even against the lower tier sides in Serie A games where, you know, you could snatch it right there. And in a, in a final like this, you can't, you can't not put away those opportunities for you. What was the most disappointing aspect of yesterday? We'll start with uh, Anthony. I think it goes without saying that it's just the finishing. It's the finishing because now the pessimist in me and the pessimist in a lot of fans are going to ask, well, how satisfied are we going to be with some of our attackers next season? Because we need to be honest, our, our attack has been on a knife edge for about a year now. You know, as soon as we let Alexis Sanchez leave and we lost that creative ace up our sleeve, knowing that Correa wasn't fit to even lace a quarter of the games, let alone the outcome 
that Alexis Sanchez can do. We really started relying on Eden Dzeko. And I know on my channel, I sound like a broken record having this guy's back, but what, what else do you want me to say? Because there is no way in hell you should be asking Eden Dzeko to be doing 30% of what he was asked to do this season. And even in the Champions League final, I don't think he was poor by any means necessary in context to what our game plan was, that's for sure. Next season, if Eden Dzeko remains at the club, you shouldn't be asking him to do anything more than to come off the bench and say to our games and to start a Copper Italian game or a game in the Champions League group if you are already through mathematically. That's it. That's all it is. Outline roles and responsibilities properly because if we're going to keep a player like Romelu Lukaku around who's responsible for a couple of poor misses yesterday, not responsible for the result whatsoever, just responsible for a miss yesterday. And I'm going to say one, actually, because I do think that Diaz clears that second header from DeMarco if um, Lukaku's not there. For me, it's all about that one-on-one -on -one miss three yards out. But I think that that's the most disappointing aspect. And if that's the aspect I'm thinking about, Alessandro, I'm really starting to think next season we might need more than just Lula. We need something else. We need something fresh because this isn't perspective now. This isn't what can be. It's deliver time for both of them. Ground running level shit. Excuse my language next season. Like they have to get going straight away. No false starts, no Udinese, no Milan, no Lazio. And all the other games we drop points in Serie A this season. The team needs to know that if they are going to stay together, they need to go off the ground straight away next season and assert authority and dominance and say that we are going for that second star because... Copper Italians are nice. Super Coppers are nice. But all right, we just did it two years in a row, yeah? I'm going to publicly put out there that Copper and a Super Copper are not good enough for me next season now. I want something more. I can't go through next season knowing that we're going to lose pace with the league in January. That's not going to happen again. So the finishing yesterday and the final decision-making needs addressing the same way we've known all season that come end of the season we've got a decision to make with the attack. And a lot of it is going to come down to finances and how hard Chelsea want to come to the bargaining table, which could include our goalkeeper now as well. I hope not. Johnny, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty much going to echo the same sentiment that, I, that you guys have both said, you know, the, the finishing there. Um, it kind of has been like our Achilles heel all season, to be honest. Like we, we've, we've been able to create chances. We've been able to have ridiculous XGs and stuff, even though I don't really, you know, I mean, you know, I don't love those stats, but, uh, and we just can't score. We'll, we'll, we'll finish games with no goals, maybe one goal. And, and another one, you know, like where we won the XG battle and nothing ended up happening. I mean, Ederson made two ridiculous saves at the end there and i mean listen hats off to him you have to be in the right position to make those saves and you and you have to have the reflexes to make those um and that's something i want to work on as well yeah i mean i agree with anthony too on on Jekko. like uh, was i getting annoyed with with certain things of course but also at the same time he shouldn't have been in those situations he shouldn't have been having to play 60 70 minutes sometimes 90 you know game in and game out like on three days rest it's it's ridiculous to expect that from a 37 going on 38 year old like <laughs> i don't know i mean it's 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 something that they have to address i i would be okay if yeah if he if he wanted to agree to you know um lower wages and, and coming back if he was the fourth option because that even third is okay but i would prefer fourth option i would be okay with that because he is a class player i mean he has fantastic touch he does you know have score goals from ridiculous angles and and he's a a great finisher and, and and obviously a great teammate you know you see the way he is and and i don't you know i think of the games against uh against juve when we equalized late in the coppa italia the way he galvanized the the crowd you know in the curva um I love that passion. So he's someone who I think would be instrumental, especially with his experience um, to work with like the younger strikers. That if we do bring someone younger in, like, I mean, we're seeing the rumors now of Skamaka possibly coming in. And if you, you get someone like that and, and you keep Checo to, to kind of help um, be like a mentor to him, that, that could be, I mean, that could be huge. So, but we'll see. I mean, there, obviously it's a long summer. The rumors, like Anthony said, are already starting to fly around. So, Hopefully uh, we can keep the core to 
to push onward because that second star, I mean, t- to beat Milan to that too would be such a huge like tip in the cap or, or feather in the cap, whatever the phrase is, um, for uh, for the guys. And I, I want that. I want that set. Yeah, like the same thing. Like the, the Champions League would have been nice, but I want that second star so badly. Yeah, yep, yeah. and we'll get into our thoughts for next season. One thing I also wanted to cover was we don't have a ton to talk about in terms of Manchester City's chances, right? There was an early strike by Haaland, which Onana, you know, stood his ground and parried perfectly. You, after the goal, you have Foden who gets clear through on, but again, Onana comes up big. So we have to talk about the goal, right? I think a lot of... um a lot of fans of other teams are looking at the goal and saying, "Oh, you were this close, you were that close." So, let's let's have a, you know, a real conversation about about that goal. The thing for me that I I don't have issue with the fact that we weren't able to get in front of it and block the shot even though it was, you know, directly with two players right there who both could have probably made a play on the ball. It was struck very fiercely, you know, and those are situations that are are tough. I, I wish Darmian would have come out to the ball a little bit more just to make that strike a little bit less of a, you know, a one-timer into the back of the net for Rodri. But did you have any problem with how we defended that goal or was it, you know, inevitable? I'll start with Johnny. You know, having, having watched the replay over and over again, you can make, you know, arguments for, for many different things. At the end of the day, it's it, the goal was created or, or scored during, like, a, a chaotic situation, really. You know, I mean, you had Silva come in, the ball gets crossed, it bounces off a few people, comes out perfectly to Rodri to, to be able to take the shot. Um, and he, I mean, if you watch that, that goal, it's a sublime finish. I mean, he literally curls it around two people. Like, yeah, you could say Darmian could have come out. Some people, you know, Milanista were trying to make fun that if, oh, if Hakan would have stayed where he originally was, you know, all right, cool. I mean, but you know what? Like, at this, at also, like, if he would have stayed there, there's a potential because of where his arm was initially before he moved in, he did turn it sideways and kind of, who knows, maybe they get a cheap handball and it turns into a penalty. Like, you know, like, there's so many things that could have happened. Like, it is what it is. I mean, it's an unfortunate thing. Like, it's a matter of inches, really, that that cost us. Um, you know, you could say with Darmian, you could say with Hakan, you could say, what if the ball, you know, bounced at a different angle and went to somebody else? Like, who knows? Like, it <laughs> It just is what it is, and I, I can't fault really anyone. Do I wish it would have played out differently? Yes, but like I'm not going to sit here and point fingers at at whomever. You know, uh, some people are like, "Oh, you know, Onana was caught flat footed." Like that. That I wanted to flip my my table when I saw that that tweet. So, I mean, of course, you know, I I wish it didn't happen, but at the end of the day, it is uh, it is what it is. So. Anthony, for you, unstoppable strike or poorly defended uh, goal there? Unstoppable strike, man. We were starting to get peppered. That is a goal that Manchester City have scored in the Premier League time and time again by going down the byline and squaring it back inside. It's a goal that in elements we've conceded time and time again in Serie A in a sense that if there is a, a, a recoil ball or a rebounded ball, or a deflected ball, in this case, it did deflect off a Chernobyl, then we're just slow to react. And the rebound is always going to the opposition and teams are scoring, whether it's Manchester City or um, whether it's Bologna. <laughs> it could be any team in the world. But it's, it's a goal that came as a direct result of many other factors. So it's not the worst goal in the world to concede. It's not the sole reason why we didn't get over the line. In the final, it's just the way it went. Manchester City probably expected to score more. Um, they definitely didn't expect to wait that long to get on the score sheet as well. It's unfortunate when you look at how fine the margin was, but look at this, the millimetres that Rodri has to work with to curl that ball around both Hakan and Damian are very, very fine. Nothing Onana can do, really, in my opinion. I think Onana had a great game to see him playing so vertically. I hope the pitch is just so refreshing and I hope he's there next season. So one of the stories going into the game was going to be the quality of their midfield versus our midfield. We're talking about Kevin De Bruyne, 
Ilkay Gundogan, John Stones, and Rodri, who eventually got his name on the score sheet, versus our midfield, um, Hakan Brozo Barella. How do you feel our boys did last night, midfield to midfield battle? We'll go with Anthony. Look, there were players that let us down last night in a sense that you would have liked to see more from Barella and Hakan. Rozovic was great. He was everywhere. He showed the whole world last night just like, you know, badly some teams are going to kill for a player like Rozovic next season just to be able to settle their team when they need to protect their domestic points. It wouldn't surprise me for us to see bids coming in for this guy. And we'll maybe can talk about that later or another time because he was the standout midfielder last night for me, boys. But he let the, the jitters of the big game get to him a little bit. You know, that chance is still playing in my head where the Edison mistake sees him with an open goal and he can probably do a lot better with that sort of chip. But that being aside as well, I expect more from Nico. And it's just a big game and a big occasion. And his desire and willingness to always push that one bit harder and win could sometimes, sometimes present a negative. Um, Hakan, on the other hand, was the worst for me. Well, possibly the worst interplayer last night for me. The way he chiefly gave the ball away, went into challenges poorly. The run of play shifted and changed multiple times because of uh, carelessness on Hakan's behalf. I have no doubt he'll still have a decent season next season, but he's about to go under a new contract. Keep in mind, we got him for free and we're about to sign him for a contract. So, I mean, when I say this, that this is your real audition next season, Hakan. You've had a really good fairy tale run, but if we're putting pen to paper on a new contract for you, he has to perform because then he becomes an asset. Um, that's the way I saw the midfield matchup last night in terms of just being. Not necessarily overrun because we, we were happy to give possession over. We were more than happy to give possession over for average 68 to 70% of possession of the game for majority of the game was spent with Manchester City. Yes, we started to get a little bit more towards the end, but for me, after seeing it flush up on the screen a few times, on average about 68 to 70% possession for majority of the game for City. And when we did have the ball, a lot of the time it was Brozovic being able to work it out from our own half and just looking to orchestrate a simple run of play and possession. Next season, the midfield needs to be a little better depth-wise. I don't expect Gagliardini to be there, thank God, but we need to see more out of Aslani, who didn't play a minute in the final, and we can't start putting Henrik Mkhitaryan in the same bracket in midfield that we have for Eden Dzeko up front, that's for sure, because he can't back up those minutes. That's that's it for me. Johnny, what about you? How did, how did our, our midfield look to you yesterday? Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> same thing. You know, like they uh, they were more than happy to allow Men City to have the ball. And, I, you know, it's, it's kind of like empty possession, in my opinion. If it doesn't lead to goals, if it doesn't lead to cre- chances created, which uh, outside of maybe two or three, I, I mean, what did they really do? I I don't think it was uh, that bad. I mean, yeah, I agree. Hakan was the worst player of the three. It, it's he was turning the ball over. I mean, very careless in a, in possession. Very careless in his his reading of the game. It's it's like I I don't know. I don't know if playing in Turkey was too much pressure for him. You know, all the I'm sure he probably had you know more access to media there, and, and then making him maybe a bigger deal about him playing, you know, in in his home country, and then you know, no Turkish player has ever won. The, uh, the the Champions League, so I don't know, maybe maybe that got to him, and that that's not something you want, you know, from what you would have in a, in a player starting in your eleven. You know, you don't want him to to shy away from the moment. You want him to grab it and 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 make the most out of it. So that that's disappointing. I definitely think we do need more depth because you know to expect you know the Barellas and, and the Brozoviches and and you know I mean Hakan didn't stay the whole game. Um, we did bring in Mkhitaryan, but like you want to be able to bring in guys who maybe aren't like you're on the same level, but like a one B or you know like not that big of a drop from from below them. So maybe Aslani's that guy. You know, I mean, there's rumors of SMS too. So I mean, who knows? Who knows what can happen? But like, I just want to to keep the good things that we have going, you know, going forward and. 
and I want the guys to to take this loss and and to want more from it. You know, I think uh, I like what Barella said, where he's gonna put you know his his second place medal right up front so that he you know he has that as a reminder. Um, I just hope uh, you know the rest of the team share that sentiment. Yeah, so I think you guys covered all of it in terms of what we saw from the midfield. For me, the most frustrating aspects of yesterday were, one, the finishing. And we talked about already, you know, Lukaku's Lukaku's inability to put the ball in the net there. Second was the turnovers. For a team that, especially with Hakan and Brozovic, who are a fundamental aspect of their game is their ability to dictate the tempo. And on too many occasions, they were careless with trying to link up with each other. And this wasn't, again, like this wasn't due to Man City's pressure. It wasn't due to, you know, their ability to read the game and intercept the passes. It was purely like Hakan playing a couple hospital balls or Brozovic not really like, you know, maybe seeing out of the corner of his eye Hakan, but not not getting the ball there. The turnovers were incredibly frustrating. And now let's move on to the next aspect of the game. Uh, you know, in terms of the third thing that really frustrated me, our best chance of the first half, our most beautiful buildup where you really saw the Limone ball, it ended with Dumfries with time and with space on that right-hand side, basically, you know, inside of Man City's box, he has Barella overlapping, he has options in the middle, and the one thing that you cannot be doing in a game of this magnitude is hesitating. You can't be trying to, you know, you can't find yourself caught in between two things. Either lay the ball off to Barella coming down the sideline or play the ball in the box. That was, don't freeze for me yesterday, like, you know, defensively did a good job, but the way that we play, we play with outlets and Dumfries needed to be better going forward. We'll talk about DiMarco's performance. I want to hear from you guys, but maybe the most like jump out of your seat. What the hell are you doing moment was Dumfries on the right-hand side. Johnny, what was, what was going through your head in that first half when he's just sitting on the ball for way too long? Yeah. In the moment I got really upset. Uh, I think that was the only time I like slammed the table um was with that that opportunity i mean I, yeah i was saying the same thing either get rid of it lay it off to somebody else um he had if i remember, if I remember correctly it was lautaro with him like if he would have just pushed and not slowed down and just kept pushing he could have i mean we all know how bad his crossing is but he maybe could have got the ball to lautaro and who knows what happened so i mean it is frustrating um that opportunity but i, I don't think that like that that was another deciding, you know, moment. It just, it is, with him, it's almost expected. Like, I don't, I'm not surprised when he makes mistakes. I'm not surprised when he doesn't do the right thing or think, you know, two steps ahead or something. It's just, it is what it is with him. So, yeah, I kind of, I was pissed in the moment, but I, I, I moved on pretty quick. Anthony, what did you think about DiMarco's performance yesterday? I thought DiMarco, once again, showed a lot of heart. A lot of heart, a lot of fight, a lot of successful passes as well from DiMarco throughout the match as well. Um, I'm not too sure if he took one or two of the corners as well. Took Makaka. I'm pretty sure he did, especially on that right-hand side. I think he took yeah, he at did. least one from that right-hand side. Yeah, um, DiMarco was really good yesterday. I really think he's locked up his position in the national team for the big qualifiers going forward as well. But... For me, just a lot of direct crossing that probably could have been a little better. I mean, I know they'll go play go down to successful open play crosses, but um, I don't know. DiMarco's performance yesterday is a hard one because he had a lot to do from a defensive standpoint as well. And I didn't mind how, how far he had to backtrack as well to cover um, Manchester City's press as well half the time. For me, DiMarco going forward is an important part of what he embodies as an Interista. We've got this luxury going forward of having Barella, Bastoni and DiMarco, three Italians that are born into this club that would consider themselves fans for life. There's no reason why you can't captain one of them up and vice-captain up with the other and they can really take us forward. Um, but in terms of performances, all it's going to do is present another opportunity of growth for DiMarco, who is ascension from the time he was at Parma to Verona and now 
has just been astounding. And I'm really happy to be going forward with him as our left back, left wing back next season, depending on how we line up. And now it'll all come down to whether or not we sell Gossens. Overall, for me, DeMarco gets about a 7 out of 10 for tomorrow's uh, for yesterday's performance. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, he definitely, you know, wasn't able to do his typical um, crossing from the left-hand side because of all that defensive work that he had to do. But also, you know, he had a he did have an opportunity to tie the game. That's a tough that's a tough header for someone who doesn't find himself in that position very often. Um, but it could have gone another way on uh, on another day. Man, this is a tough game to talk about. I feel, you know, it's it's depressing to go through all these different aspects, but um but we have to. So let's switch over to a bright spot. Um someone who has saved our ass on many an occasion this year, Onana, there's no doubt about about it for me. He is one of the top 2, if not the best goalkeeper um playing in Europe right now. When you think about all round complete game, what he can do with his feet, there were, you know, some times where it got a little testy, but his ability to distribute the ball with both feet, um, his ability to stand tall and and make saves from really tough angles against really quality players. If there's anyone yesterday who showed up for the team, you can't ask more than what Onana gave you. Johnny, I know you're a huge Onana fan. What was what was it like for you to watch uh, his performance yesterday, um, which I thought was top notch? Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminded me of uh, Julio Cesar's performance uh, against Barcelona in the semifinals, just making massive saves, timely saves. Um, I mean. <laughs> I guess part of me, uh, you know, if I knew, if you would have told me, you know, that the we were guaranteed to lose, I would have hoped that he had like a few howlers, so nobody would be interested in him. Um, but all kidding aside, like I, the guy was just massive, and even the way that he spoke after the game, the way that he went to Lautaro, I mean, that's a leader. That's a guy that you want in your locker room on the pitch. He is. I mean, just the embodiment of, of what Inter is. And I, I I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I mean, the save on, on Foden was so huge. And, and the controlling of the rebound, too. You know, like, that's something that you don't see is... And kind of goes, like, under the... Brushed under the, the, you know, the carpet there is... A lot of keepers would try to parry that away. They wouldn't try to secure it. And then that what that creates is another opportunity for a rebound. Somebody else could run in, blast it on an empty net, whatever it could be. His control... And positioning and everything is just so massive, and even the like the way he react. Like I loved what he did when you know um, Holland kind of tripped him up late in the game, and he just got up and shoved him in the back. Like that's what I want. I want that fight. He did. He did not want to give up. He didn't want the team to give up. And I mean, listen, hats off to him. To me, he was you know he was my man of the match. I, I don't blame him at all for the goal. Um, you know, if it wasn't for him, that could have been a three four nil loss. Who knows? So. I, I hope he stays and we continue with him because he's massive and, and nobody we bring in is going to be able to replicate what he does, his heart, his passion, his even his um, his character that he has and, and the things that he says. You know, you wouldn't get that from whoever, whether it's Vicario or, or whomever else. So, Anthony, what are your thoughts? I think it's very doubtful that Vicario can play consistently at this level from scratch, let alone do what Onana can do on a mental level and how Onana has already stepped up to the big plate more than once before. Proper experience in the World Cup and Champions League, and you're actually seeing that now. And I fear very much that after losing Splinia the way that we did, even though I've made peace with that, that Onana just might be Suning and uh, Suning's next indirect victim. Yeah, that's what I'm going to call it because you just got a goalkeeper for free, and now he's being talk, talk, talked about as a top three, top five goalkeeper in Europe. The capital gain on this is huge, boys. We're looking at a plus 50, plus 60 capital gain here if we can get it over the line for a goalkeeper. And that's just something that this club's not going to pass up. And I'm just speaking from, from experience. It's that's If they get an offer of 50 million for a goalkeeper that they brought in for free after just a year ago, they are going to bite at that. 
Guardiola also couldn't stop speaking about Onana the last couple of days as well. So I just fear the worst. If it's an English club, our hands might be tied here. It was a good performance from him in the final. Um, he's, I like his urgency to get a long ball directly up there. I'm not the biggest fan of long ball football, but with Onana, he makes it enjoyable. He makes it so enjoyable to watch the ball just get pinged from one one into the other. I always feel like there's purpose behind it and not just hoofball like we've seen in the past, not just in our team, but many teams. But now I think that his future will be in question because there will be interest from a few clubs. I think the only concrete interest is Chelsea at the moment though, but everybody has a price and it will be really sad to see him go because I think he's got a top level player mentality. And I think he's a huge reason we made it this far in the competition there aren't too many keepers in the world that are better than him and that could come in with him at the moment. And the question will need to be asked, if you are going to sell Onana, then you need to have a, a replacement lined up that is so good bang for buck, money contextual-wise. It doesn't make sense to sell Onana for even something as good as $60 million if you need to drop $25 million on your next goalkeeper. That's garbage. Like, this has to be, this has to be a deal where everybody smiles no matter what and that's made it very hard with how impactful and how important the player is now yeah and it feels like we could do a whole episode on this onana saga and you know interisti that are listening you likely will hear an entire episode on this at some point but i'll leave off the onana discussion with saying ancelotti you know had a quote after maldini was was sacked from milan where he said too often with the the owners that are involved in modern football now, the the business aspect overtakes the sporting aspect. And in this sense, on a sporting level, you cannot bring in another keeper that brings what, what Onana brings you in terms of what he does on the pitch, but also like Johnny mentioned, the mentality. So this, you know, if he is sold, it would be, a business decision and and have nothing to do with the sporting level because on the sporting level, there's no way to go but down from, from Onana. The last, the last thing that I want to talk about as far as this game is concerned is um, a, a major reason why we were in this game to begin with, which is the way Lautaro, you know, turned on in the second half of the season and scored a lot of crucial goals and, and was amazing for me yesterday. Uh, it was really disappointing. And I guess the question that I'll pose here with regards to his performance, was this a a big name player not showing up in a big game? Or did this have more to do with Man City focused on on taking him out of the game? We'll go with Anthony. Are you talking about Lautaro, sorry? Lautaro. Yeah, yeah, great. Just making sure. Look, again... A tough one, yeah, because you, you said it perfectly, man, right at the end there. Like, was this game a game that Manchester City tried to take Lautaro out of it on and off the ball? And I think the answer is yes, to an extent. That mischance is not going to be the one that is going to replay in my head time and time again. Because, yes, it is at a tight angle and he's sort of through on goal there. But playing the ball across to one of his teammates should have been the top priority. His call was to shoot straight at Edison not see the fact that his legs were sort of separating. And I think that that was when, when he didn't get that opportunity. That's when I really started to think now, now's the time for Manchester City to strike. So as an indirect result, the momentum really does shift after that particular chance. But I can't fault his work ethic. I can't fault his love for the badge. Like you saw his reaction, boys, after, after it was finished. He looked absolutely heartbroken. Absolutely heartbroken. The questions will be asked next season whether or not he's good enough to keep leading us forward because he, as I said earlier in the podcast, he and Lukaku are now at that point where they need to keep delivering results. Any sort of sign that you can't deliver results for us for top level in the league and keep taking us to this quarterfinal stage, minimum of the Champions League, we're going to have to cash in. We are, we can't we can't sit around and let assets stick around at this club. We're not in that sort of position unless we change ownership. There are a lot of fans, unfortunately, that will be saying that Lautaro has shown time and time again that he's not meant for this stage. The World Cup and now the Champions League final backs that up. However, the semi-final might might speak a little bit differently. 
for me, he's one of the few players that I've sort of felt connected to since our last wave of success. You know, when we were winning school deathals uh, under Mancini and Mourinho and the trouble. But I would be able to make peace easily if we were if we had to part ways with Lautaro this season if the if the money was really really good. However, we need a plan going forward because he's still good enough to take us in the league. I think as as long as he's got support around him and that proper relationship working with Lukaku or anybody else. But then again, nothing guarantees that a pass across goal would have guaranteed a goal from either Brozovic or Lukaku yesterday. So I think criticism on his side there just for that chance is harsh. Um, but yeah, I can't I can't fault him for the game as a whole. It's just like Barella and like Hakan. He's a player yesterday that we wanted to do more, but he didn't deliver and do more. Johnny, are you leaning more towards, you know, missing persons case in uh, Lautaro's regard or in the same way that we, you know, made a conscious decision to take Haaland out the game? Did you feel like Man City uh, approached it as well with Lautaro like that? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's how I, that's how I look at it. I mean... <clears throat> I wish he would have made, obviously done a little more with some of the opportunities that he had, and not even that 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 chance uh, where it was really him clear on goal, not clear on goal, but like at a at a tough angle. I don't think if he tries to pass that ball off to Lukaku, I don't even know if it gets to him. To be honest, with the way Ruben Diaz was closing in, I mean, it's going to be tough. And who knows? Maybe Ederson tries to dive and and punch it away. I mean, we don't know. So it's tough to look at that and 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 kind of. <sighs> Give it, you know, past criticism, but it is, it is something where, like, when I watched the game, I was, I was expecting a little bit more. I was hoping that he would be able to do some stuff, you know, create some chances. You know, we think of how he was able to to lay off balls for Lukaku or lay off balls for for other people running in, and and, and the vision he has, it, it just it, it didn't happen. And I think part of that reason it didn't happen though is that they made sure to to kind of take him out. I think I think Man City knew how much of a weapon he could be. Um, he may not be the most composed when he has an opportunity to shoot. You know, he's more of a kind of a, a one-time, you know, hit it straight off the volley type player, and, and that's when he does something brilliant. But you know what? Uh, I'm I'm not gonna be, judge him too harshly. Do I wish he was better? Of course. I think anyone would say that. You know, he would hope he he would have done something and and turned that into a goal or a, an opportunity for someone else to score. But um, yeah, that's uh. It's kind of how it goes sometimes. All right. The last thing that I want to touch on as far as this game is concerned, um, and maybe I'm the only one that feels like this. This was a really hard-fought game. There were a lot of tough challenges. I, at points during the game, like, listen, he is not the reason why we lost this game, but did it feel like a bit of an uneven performance from Simon Marciniak on some of the fouls that Lautaro suffered you know, clear stamp on Di Marco. Did it feel like there was a little bit of unevenness um, from Marciniak in, in the game yesterday? What did you think, Anthony? I thought that he was in danger of letting the game get away from him early with some of these decisions in the first half an hour. I actually give credit to the players on both sides for being able to keep it composed and together, especially our side. I've seen us as in the league run up to referees and get quite lippy, but we knew that we were on the stage and we had to keep a lid on it because there were a good three or four challenges in the first half, a couple against Lautaro, uh, a couple against Di Marco as well. And that's when you really started to see the likes of Lautaro and Brozovic start to get agitated towards the official. I think that he actually grew in, the referee grew into the game and officiated the game better as the game went on. I thought it was a reckless first 30 to 35 minutes and it really did have the makings for this game to get out of control. I thought cards could have been shown a little bit earlier, but then again, it's a Champions League final, so I'm happy for games to go as long as possible when it gets to finals without the referee having to intervene too much. Provided that the game doesn't get out of control, and from an officiating standpoint, there was nothing wrong with yesterday. Offsides were called perfectly. Um, the fouls, yes, they were a little bit rough in the first half, and yes, we could have benefited a couple more from times, but there are no, nobody woke up today talking about decisions that the referee made that impacted the game. And that, for me, is actually a really big thing. It, it's a real big moment of clarity for me to wake up and go, how dare that 
asshole not called that for us. I mean, you've still got dudes. Look what happened to Roma, man. Literally, man can't walk through an airport with his kids. Like, I'm all for common sense. Maybe the day after, don't don't go there with your family. But at the same time, that's just a low form of humanity. To, to behave like that in public towards a referee for those decisions, whether you agree with it or not, that's the result of football these days. It's hardcore tribalism and it's politeness to say. And so I, I was just really happy to know that his decisions didn't impact the result. Johnny, do you feel any differently about uh, Marginia's performance? No, not really. You know, I mean, sure, I wish some other things were were called in our favor, but it it, it just didn't uh, happen to play out that way. Um, I'm yeah, I'm same same sentiment as as Anthony. You know, I'm just glad it didn't come down to a, a refereeing decision that ended up costing you know the game for one team or another. I think he for the most part, tried to keep it balanced. I mean, you know, you can make arguments that maybe we didn't get quite as many calls in our favor, but I don't think that it was like, I, I didn't feel like we were being targeted in any way or that it was, you know, it was kind of going against us. It just happened to play that way. I mean, I wanted the, uh, that, that clear one where, you know, the player went right through the back of Lautaro to be called, but yeah, that's probably the only one that I was like really upset about, to be honest. So. And I was most upset about that because Man City immediately broke and, you know, created an opportunity. And had they scored there, I was very nervous. Like, are you going to chalk it off? Because it was an extremely clear foul on Lautaro. He came right through the back and did not, you know, did not get the ball. So... See, and um, I said, I said to one of my friends who was worried about that too. I was like, well, if they if they did score, I think VAR would have intervened and, and called the foul there. That's the I hope. could be I could be wrong, but I would I would like to think that that you know would be the case. That's the hope. So that's a that's a wrap on yesterday's game. Like we said at the top of this podcast, pride for a team that showed up with no one giving them a chance outside of uh, Interisti. Um, a lot of people that, you know, know football were expecting us to get trounced. And we came out, and I don't think that we showed that we're an inferior team. I think that some things went, you know, some things weren't done on our end to win the game, which ultimately is is on us. But I, you know, I feel comfortable saying we're we're right up there with the best in the world and um, how this summer plays out is going to determine whether or not we stay there. Um, and then, of course, the heartbreak of, you know, we had a, we had chances yesterday and, and we weren't able to come through. But at the end of the day, Inter season finishes with a third place finish in the league, Coppa Italia and Supercoppa winners and uh, silver medal in the Champions League final. Um, an incredible season on on an emotional level. So we're going to wrap up, but before we go, I guess the last uh, the last question here, because there will obviously be a ton of conversations this summer about about what we do moving forward. But I will I will pose this to both of you: expectations for next season in terms of you know championships. Obviously, we want to take home you know Champions League, Coppa Italia, and Scudetto. If you can pick one thing for us to win next season. What competition would that be, realistically speaking? Johnny, we'll start with you. I mean, it's got to it's got to be the scudetto. You got to go for that second star. It has to be the case. I mean, it's there's no way you can have have it go anywhere else. Um, yeah, to me, it's it's just a no brainer. I want I want it. I want to to celebrate it. I want to get back on all the Twitter trolls. I got I got a few people who have uh, still got bookmark tweets for so. Yeah, I need that. Anthony, what trophy means most to you in your cabinet next season? Oh, definitely the Scudetto. And I'll be very honest after the Mercato because I truly believe that if we can have a good Mercato and um, you know just add one or two pieces where we need to, I really do think we're in with a good chance of winning it as well. So, yeah. Yep, I'm going to say second star as well. Um I'm going to say second star as well. It's, you know, it's a very difficult thing to go to Champions League finals back-to-back years. It's uh, something that I believe we can do depending on how this Mercato plays out. But the focus should be this This league campaign was very, very disappointing. They've got to bounce back next year. And again, head-to-head with any team in Europe, I'll take us. But um, 
that goes to show that, you know, we can, we should be winning this league. Uh, I think we have the strongest team now and I want to have the strongest team at the end of this Mercato season, which is guaranteed to, to play out um, pretty crazy. Like it does every single summer. Thank you guys for joining us for this post game recap of the champions league final. Um, Anthony, where can, uh, where can our listeners find your content? First of all, thank you, Alessandro, and thank you, Johnny, for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure to link up at long last. Um, you can just find me at InterWorldWide, InterWorldWide on Twitter and YouTube for daily or semi-daily, every second day content on our beloved Inter. I know that we've just lost the Champions League final, everybody, but the content will still be coming rapidly on InterWorldWide. And thank you once again to these two gentlemen for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for jumping on, man. It was it was great to have you. First of hopefully many appearances uh, on interviews, um, and you know both ways as well. Johnny, anything you wanted to uh, to tell our listeners after a tough loss loss last uh, yesterday? Listen, uh, not the best way to finish the season. Of course, we all wanted that that trophy, the big ears, as uh, Nazario calls them. But I think we'll be back next year. And it may not be for this competition, but I'm, I see good things coming. I'm, I'm trying to be hopeful as opposed to last summer where I was a complete mess. So let's uh, let's hope for uh, continued success and, and, and being able to uh, to grow from this experience, you know, so. Yeah, and I think I speak for um, Johnny as well when I say this. This is, you know, I guess the official wrap on season one of the Interviews podcast. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone that has listened, shared, liked our content. Uh, I can assure you we're going to keep pumping it out. Um, Season two starts, you know, as early as maybe even this week. We have a lot of fun content planned for you guys um and thank you for for listening um it's been a joy to do this podcast and um it's great to uh to have the support that we have so that's a wrap on uh on inter season in the words of the great roberto scarpini forza ragazzi forza ragazzi forza ragazzi oh